Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and it is once again Friday, somehow already in May. Coming up, I'm going to talk with two people from the Apple TV Plus show Mythic Quest. I'm sure that most workplaces have this idea of like, our workplace is so zany, someone should do a show about us. Um, Only they're right. But first, it is the week that was with two excellent panelists. First up, we have writer, comedian, and host of the Galaxy Brains podcast, Dave Schilling. Dave, hey. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, thanks for coming down. Not that you had to leave anywhere at all, really. Yeah, I am in my pajamas. My camera is not on for Zoom because it is just like, it's a horror show of my (laughs) chest hair popping out and I'm wearing flip-flops. It's disgusting. Well, thank you for painting that picture. Really (laughs) glad to have you. Also with us, we have WBEZ politics reporter Mariah Wolfel. Mariah, hello. Hey, Greta. Are you in pajamas? You know, I had to I had to drop my dog off at the vet this morning, so I had ah. to put on real pants. Unfortunately, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. No, it's yeah, it's been a hard it's been a hard morning. You know. <laughs> okay, so um, as we do many weeks, I think we should start with COVID and the idea of herd immunity, which essentially the Times this week was like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Mariah, you've done a fair amount of reporting on the pandemic in general and around vaccines. Can I put you on the spot and ask you to explain what herd immunity is? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So herd immunity is the idea that a certain percentage of the population becomes immune to a a virus, ideally through vaccination, um, so that we can bring cases down. It's really as simple as that. Um, I think most of the estimates started out initially where like, 60 to 70 percent of the population needs to be immune to COVID in order for us to bring cases down and get them to stop circulating. Those estimates started to rise as like more contagious variants started popping up. Mm -hmm. I think like now it's like at least 70 to 90 percent. I think somewhere in the middle around 80 percent is what most people are thinking of herd immunity for COVID-19 right now. But, you know, there's really no telling because we don't know what's going to happen in the future with variants either. Right. Well, and it's just I don't know. I mean, we can look at percentages of how many people are currently vaccinated, but it just seems like how to measure success, you know, and figure out like what the end of the pandemic actually is, is such a moving target these days. And I think about it even from my own point of view, like I am fully vaccinated at this point, but I still haven't done anything wilder than like hang out with four other vaccinated humans at one time. I'm curious, Dave, what do you think? Like, where are you in the spectrum of like, I don't know, back to normal life, whatever that looks like. I mean, you're in pajamas, so that's a good start. (laughs) Yeah, that is not normal for me. I am a suit and tie kind of person, uh, so I am not back to normal. But I feel good personally in terms of the the broader picture of the world. It's unfortunate that we have not had a more cohesive response, global response. Um, This is a connected planet. We can move around this planet so easily that to 
kind of abandon other countries like we have in many cases with India where the pandemic has spiraled out of control beyond their ability to contain it. Uh, It's dangerous because that's how the virus can mutate as it's circulating from person to person. Um, So I don't think the pandemic will ever end uh, in the traditional sense of like, oh, there's zero cases of COVID in the world. they'll, They'll be manageable. They'll be much more rare than they have been. Uh, we'll probably end up getting booster shots every so often. Uh, now that they already have been able to figure out these viruses from a genetic level, like I think it'll be easier to combat uh, m- medically, but it's never going away. Oh, I, you know, I don't think it, I've heard anyone actually say there's not going to be an end to the pandemic. That, that kind of hit me, man. <laughs> and I hear what you're saying. I think you're totally right. Yeah, I don't mean to say it'll never go back to us being able to go to baseball games and uh, see our family. I just mean to say, like, the pandemic phase will end, but the virus will never truly go away. So we're not going to have a moment of ecstasy. Of, it's all done. It's just going to be like a problem for the rest of our lives, I think. Hmm. Is that what your read is too, Mariah? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, COVID-19 is going to continue to just be a household name like the flu is uh, in our mm-hmm. future. And I think it's going to be really, really weird and hard given everything that we've all gone through and like the death we've seen to then like get to a point where we accept that there are going to be a certain number of hospitalizations and deaths, you know, due to COVID-19. If you think about the flu, there are hospitalizations and deaths to the by the flu thousands every year. And so that's something that we accept. We don't wear masks during flu season. I mean, maybe that'll change now. Um, but yeah. it's something that, that we just accept um, that was probably a lot harder for people in the early 20th century. Um, in after living through the the flu pandemic but um i just yeah i think that that's my read too and it's gonna be i also think it's so crazy that there's like dave said there's not gonna be this end moment where we can all like you know breathe in deep and let out a big sigh and mourn and you know like recover and heal from this it's just gonna be this like gradually trying to be comfortable and like also being courteous and having conversations with other people about their comfortability. You know, if you have a friend that's not ready to take off their mask, but you are not walking outside with a mask anymore and stuff like that. And just like really, uh, communicating and thinking through these things kind of constantly. Totally. Well, and I think it's fair to say, too, that the pandemic has really affected a lot of people economically as well, obviously. Right. And one story that caught our eye this week that I thought was really interesting was also from The Times. It was about what's being called the YOLO economy. Which, no, is not when you just stress by expensive things because YOLO. For some people who have managed to keep their jobs over the past year, they saved a lot of money since they couldn't go out or travel. And apparently they're quitting their jobs in droves to live their best lives because YOLO. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I assume both of you are still working, so you probably haven't saved enough money to quit your day jobs. But if you could because YOLO... What would you do, Dave? Oh, boy. Well, I would continue doing my new podcast for the Vox Media Network called <laughs> Galaxy Brain. <laughs> Good plug. <laughs> You're welcome. It's available on all podcast platforms. Um, yeah, I mean, I would still want to work. I, I, I know there are a lot of people out there who don't like their jobs and don't like what they do for a living. And 
want to be left alone. I just want to be able to work at the projects that I want to work on and make my own schedule, like be able to kind of go to sleep at five o'clock in the, in the evening if I want to, or get up at noon. Like that's my dream, but still to be able to work. Um, so I wouldn't just like abandon the world and move to um, you know some far off country like that that show the Mosquito Coast. I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested <laughs> in that that lifestyle of like yeah I'm going to go live in the jungle and I'm going to build a hut and I'm going to force my family to come with me. Not not for me, not for me. I don't know. It's funny because I was talking to our producer about it earlier this week and they asked me what I would do. And my first thought was like, well, yeah, I think I would want to work. I think I would lose my mind if I weren't working. And then I was like, well, is that just like capitalism Stockholm (laughs) syndrome, though? You know, like, is that what we just all... And then the more I thought about it, the more it was like, well, shit, I could take a pottery class. I could do more French stuff. I could read even more books. Like, maybe that would be kind of great. What do you think, Mariah? Um, yeah, I think I would still want to do some work. I find work pretty fulfilling. I, I, at first I'm like, I would just do arts and crafts. Like pottery sounds great. Um, I'd learn how to sew. I'd do a bunch of stuff. Uh, and I also really like kids. I'd maybe just become like a part-time babysitter, uh, spend some time (laughs) with kids. Well, you can babysit my son while I'm off in the jungle. (laughs) Great. Um, or I would just like ask WBEZ to, to let me like severely reduce my hours and I would just work like two hours a day and take like three months to write a single story because I'm just working <laughs> two hours a day and then I would just relax the rest of the day. I mean, that sounds pretty great, yeah. really. So speaking of money, another story from the week, Bill and Melinda Gates, they're getting a divorce. Um, Mariah, did this story register on your radar at all? Um, honestly, no, it didn't. I mean, I, I read into it to prepare for today. Because you're good at your job. Yes. <laughs> I was not. This was not in my sphere, at all, in my hemisphere at all. I when, Once I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is significant. I can see, like, why this is making headlines. You know, it, it has a huge – it might it may have huge implications for – you know, the massive foundation that they've built together. Right. Um, but no, it initially, I, I, it didn't really, you know, cross my my path. What about you, Dave? Well, I mean, I, I am concerned by this because uh, someone's divorce should not affect the global economic system. Right. right. It, there is so much money uh, exchanged in this process. I've been divorced. I know it's not fun. But what we were divvying up was like a used car and (laughs) the sale of a house and, uh, you know, whether or not I was going to take our son to school. This is another level of insanity that I cannot put wrap my mind around. Like, God, the amount of money they're separating, they're splitting Mm -hmm. up is mind boggling. Um it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> I mean, it's, we should not be concerned with the uh, comings and goings of various people's romantic entanglements. I think we need to address where we put our priorities, and we need to address the fact that they should—they have too much money. These people have too much money, and some of that money should be, you know, going to the government. <laughs> like, we should be able to pay for our roads and our schools and all of these things instead of praying for the largesse of uh, billionaires uh, who are fickle in some in some cases. Yeah, it was interesting. I brought it up to a friend of mine and her biggest question was, 
if they're going to rename the foundation, which, you know, has tens of billions of dollars. If they want to rename it the Dave Schilling Foundation, that's fine. I mean, I think it's a good name. I think it rolls off the tongue and I will happily manage it uh, for a fee. Okay, before I let you two go, we thought we'd try something a little different this week. And it's also kind of a throwback here on Nerdette. We thought we would ask each of you to assign our listeners homework. Dave, I'm going to just jump right in and recommend Galaxy Brains already. So (laughs) you don't have to do that. But I was curious if y'all had recommendations, especially given that we're heading into the weekend, for something that listeners might like to, you know, do, read, watch, see, think about. This really can be anything. Mariah, let's start with you. Okay, so recently I did a thing where I took my mattress from my room and put it on my living room floor right in front of my TV. Oh, wow. I highly recommend this. That is a pandemic mood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's going to be rainy this weekend in Chicago. So if you're in Chicago or if it's rainy or crappy where you are, um, I just think it's a great like tent experience. You don't even have to, you know, enclose it with sheets, although... You know, I would recommend that as well, but it's optional. Um, And, like, get some decadent sort of, like, movie theater treats. And I I should have a movie recommendation, but I actually don't. It doesn't matter. Whatever you like. No, it's all about the vibe. No, I love that. I feel like that really fits in with tourist season, which is all about just, like, as many blankets and chocolates as possible. So you're on track, and I love that. What do you think, Dave? Well, I do have a movie recommendation. Oh, perfect. Yes, exactly. Um, I watch a lot of movies. And one of the movies I've been kind of obsessing over lately is an older film, a film from the 1960s directed by Jacques Demy called Model Shop. Gary Lockwood plays uh, this character, George, who is an aspiring architect. He refuses to work, um, but he's kind of puttering through Bohemian Los Angeles is kind of making uh, do with what he has. And mm-hmm. he's got, um, similar to the film Sunset Boulevard, which is kicked off by a character who's unable to pay for their car. Uh, George is having his car repossessed because he can't afford to pay for it. I uh, thought I'd be able to bring in some money today, but I ran into a little difficulty. Yes, I see here why you're two months behind, Mr. Matthews. I believe you were supposed to bring in the full hundred this afternoon. I was thinking of coming back first thing tomorrow. So he travels through the city trying to find someone to give him $100 to pay for his car. It's kind of a lost movie because it, it was not a successful film in 1969. It was a counterculture movie, but it was told through the eyes of a French person. And I think it just was, it didn't click at the time. But now it feels like, to me at least, as someone who lives in Los Angeles probably the greatest movie about LA that's ever been made. Wow. Hmm. That's high praise. And I like the idea of pairing that with a mattress in the living room. I feel like that, that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dave Schilling, Mariah Wolfel. Thank you both so much. That was really fun. Thank you. Thanks Greta. That was fun. After the break, I'm going to talk to a showrunner and an actor from the show Mythic Quest, which, yes, is about a video game company. If you are not a gamer, though, I think you're still going to like it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I am super excited about our next two guests. They both work on the Apple TV Plus show Mythic Quest, which is about a company that makes an MMO RPG. Don't worry, I didn't know what it stood for either. That means it's about a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. So think something like Fortnite or, for you oldies, RuneScape. Here to tell us about the show is Megan Gams. She's the creator and executive producer and writer for Mythic Quest. We also have Charlotte Nickdow, who's one of the stars. She plays Poppy who starts out as the lead programmer. Yeah, no, I don't I don't want the shovel to kill people. I just want it to dig. Dig? Do you have any idea what the TTP on an item like this is going to be? Yeah, it's going to be oh, like... Uh, TTP, guys, is time to penis. It's the time it takes for a uh, player to use a new item to make a penis. Yes, I know what TTP is. Yeah, David, stop mansplaining. They're not going to make dicks, Ian. You give the public a shovel, they dig dicks. You give them a pen, they draw dicks. You give them some clay... Definitely going to sculpt dicks. Ian, would you please tell my assistant to get into the booth? Oh, I don't tell women what to do. I allow them to make their own choices. Thank you. Season two of Mythic Quest premieres today. Megan, Charlotte, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Megan, I want to start by asking you about the origin of the show. It's kind of wacky. It has the same showrunners as It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, including you and Charlie Day and Rob McElhinney. It's a screwball workplace comedy, but it also has this interesting setting that allows you to tackle some pretty interesting topics in gaming and the Internet and just like society in general. Where did the idea come from? Um, Well, the original idea for the show came from Ubisoft. Um, They uh, had a division that was getting into film and and, um, TV, taking their video games and um, making uh, film projects out of them. And at the same time, they were thinking, our, and I'm sure that most workplaces have this idea of like, our workplace is so zany, someone should do a show about us. Um, only they're right, uh, because uh, what happened was they invited Rob to come to their offices in Montreal and check it out. And when he came back, he was like, we got to do a show about this, because it felt so much like a writer's room in a lot of ways, and that you have a bunch of different creative people with big egos coming together to make a unified project. Um But the difference was that there, each person that's in that writer's room has a different kind of zone that they care about. So you have a monetization guy that only cares about money and you have the design people that only care about the design and the coders that only care about that. And so we thought, well, that's really fun and we can see all the ways and that would create even more conflict than in your traditional writer's room. And it was also just a high stakes world. You know, they're making product that is viewed by billions of people. Um, And so anytime you have high stakes um, and big egos, you're going to have lots of comedy. So uh, we we knew that there was something to explore there. That's hilarious. Charlotte, what did you think about the setting? I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, there's two sides to the gaming industry, right? I mean, there's the stuff that y'all talk about, which is like the, you know, incel, white supremacist, like dudes in their basements. But there's there's another version of it that I think actually like connects really strongly with what we like to talk about on Nerdette, which is just like enthusiasm for whatever it is that you really love. Yes, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that the thing 
Look, one of the things that I love about the gaming community is how passionate they are. And sometimes that passion becomes toxic. Um, But the thing that you don't hear about as much as I I wish that you would is the fact that actually that the community is extremely diverse and the kinds of games that you can, that you can play and that you can find are extremely diverse. And, you know, the reason I became an actor is because I just love the idea of getting to inhabit a character that isn't myself and explore a world that's different to the one that I live in. And that is essentially what gaming is. It's just that you don't have to sit in a makeup chair for two hours before you get to start having your adventure. (laughs) So the show deals with a lot of like potentially super serious topics. What do you think is the formula that y'all are working with when it comes to addressing serious stuff in a fun way that doesn't also feel dismissive? Well, we want things to feel authentic. I think it starts from that. And part of being authentic is not shying away from the the negative or dark spots. So when we're talking about, for instance, women in the workplace, I think we wanted to be authentic to the experience of women. Um, as a woman who's worked in a very male-dominated industry for most of my life, um, I know that there are lots of hardships, but there is also great joy in it. I mean, I wouldn't still be doing it if I wasn't having fun. Uh, So I think that balance is inherent in the authenticity of it. So uh, it's about balancing those things. It's not being too overly maudlin because that doesn't feel like the experience that that women are actually having. But yeah, not overly rosy either. Um, Just trying to find that place in between. We also, in developing the characters, the female characters on the show, we definitely tried to make them varied. So you have women who are at the top of their game, like Poppy. And then you also have women that are the testers and they're the lowest rungs. Uh, then you have Carol, who is an HR, and she's kind of outside of all of them and annoyed by every everything that she's dealing with. And they all think that she's a therapist. Um, and so we tried to keep it varied so that we're not representing one woman's experience, you know, because that's there is no one experience for women in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, we... we um, we, we try to do that in the season two as well. We, we're not afraid as a show to, to delve into some weirder, darker tones. And um, we've realized the audience is along for the ride. Yeah. Charlotte, would you describe Mythic Quest as a woke show? Such a good question, because I think that um, the creators and the writers and all of us involved, I think we've got very... Um, We've got very progressive viewpoints in terms of the way that we think that people should be treated in the world uh, and the way that maybe the world could be better. But I also think that the show isn't trying to be, as you put it, a woke show. I think the show is trying to be a realistic show um, that shows glimpses of hope and shows glimpses of some good stuff, but also allows us to laugh at the bad stuff sometimes. And as I said, it's like, We don't want people to watch this show and feel like they're being told to change their morals or something. We want them to watch it and see themselves in the characters and maybe learn a little bit about the characters they don't relate to so much. Yeah, I think I think Mythic Quest has a lot of heart and it it makes me think of an episode that I'm really curious to talk to you about, which is Quarantine. It was the last episode of season one. Um, It came out towards the end of May of last year. And I mean, I don't know, I kind of feel to this day like it's the only piece of COVID content that like actually I didn't hate, you know, I remember watching it and and like, you know, as I said, Mythic Quest in general, it's mostly a good hang. But that episode, like I cried like it got me Um, what Poppy went through and the rest of the team, too. Like it was just a really beautiful episode. How did that 
come together? Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, it came out of a real place um, in that we we started shooting the second season uh, in March. We were one week into shooting and we all had to shut it down. And we all went home. And like everyone else, we we feared we didn't know what was happening. We had so many questions and so few answers. Um, we didn't know when we would all see each other again. We didn't know when work would start again. Um, but I really identify with Poppy in that episode because I, I consider myself a person that finds a lot of my self-worth um, in what I do for a living. And when that was yanked away from me, I had a real, a, a really difficult time with it. Um, so it started with a lot of conversations with Rob and David and I, just honest conversations about the emotions that we were all feeling um, in and around the, the, the quarantine. Rob went a different way, um, where, whereas I was withdrawing and um, being starting to fall into a depression. Rob was o- overcharged. He was setting up meetings. He was coming up with new shows. He he just couldn't sit down. He couldn't, and so we we kind of funneled those into the characters. Where you have Ian, he's sending videos to all of his coworkers, and he's just being like too much and um, over the top. And we re- and we were just trying to represent that everyone is struggling with this in a different way, but that doesn't mean that we're not all struggling. And I think that that's why people connected with it so much was because it really did come out of like our own personal emotions that we were having at the time. And I think, you know, going into season two, that was something that we were really cognizant of too. I mean, I think all of us feel the same way. There's there's a place for, as you say, that sort of like cathartic watch of like seeing an episode and being seeing how you're feeling reflected and, and feeling validated in that way. But for me, and I think for a lot of us making the show, we were like, by the time season two comes out, we're not going to want to talk about social distancing anymore. We're, we're just going to want to watch something that takes us out of it and helps us forget a little bit. And so apart from our special episode, um, Everlight, um, which does address the sort of challenges, but also the celebration of coming back to work, coming back into the world. The rest of the season, while it does subtly reference the fact that we've come out of this terrible year, we try to steer clear of it and tell some new stories. Totally. Well, Megan Gans, Charlotte Nickdow, thank you both so much. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Greta. This was so fun. All right, that's it for this week. We will be back on Tuesday with our book club author interview. This month's pick is Susie Yang's White Ivy. And in the meantime, you can keep up with us on the internet. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Greta M. Johnson, and Nerdette is on all the things as Nerdette Podcast. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.